0: This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge the ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that are still happening in this country to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Auspol Snackpod, the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies serve you up bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. We are also the official podcast of the Auspol shitposting Facebook group, which you should go and visit and join if you like Auspol shitposting and Facebook groups. My name is, of course, Zach Lesnack. I'm a mod in the Yulspol shitposting Facebook group. And with me, as always, is my friend, confidant, and OG member of my inner sanctum.
0: Hey, I'm Noon. Uh, what's up, Zach? Thanks for uh, doing the show with me again.
1: My pleasure, bud. How are you going? I know you've been a little bit under the weather this week. Yeah, had a mild corona
0: scare, uh, got the swab, got the old brain stab from the lady in the car park. Uh, it was I, I got it done a couple months ago, and this one was much worse, more painful and worse? Uh, unpleasant. So, no, yeah, they brought, yeah.
1: but they brought in new swabs that are supposed to be less painful, because, yeah, when Holly well, got it done, she was like, it fucking sucked, and then we went again, and she was like, it wasn't as bad this time. But yeah, I guess no, they've they checked the painful the ones just for you. It. Oh, okay. <laughs> you uh, well, a particularly like, yeah, vigorous she, tester.
0: Yeah, she also, like, really... The throat swab was bad as well, and I'm like that's that I'm pretty okay with the yeah throat swab, but um the yeah <laughs> she it seems like she was just rough you know and we were also the only people there so maybe she hadn't got warmed up or not enough people have been like ow my fucking brain you stabbed me in the brain enough uh, that morning for her to like adjust but anyway. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh shit all right well, oh, well uh, I'm, I'm free sorry no, I'm, to hear I'm coronavirus
0: it. <laughs> free, so that's nice. I can um just go and infect people with my regular flu
1: yes, currently Ospol Snackpot snackbot has a one hundred percent negative test hit rate, so all right. all right um let's get into our entree Noon. What have you brought for us?
0: Well, we have our entree, but we've actually uh we we've got a, cu- a couple new stings this episode um and would you like to m- maybe play the f- the first one for this segment it, it was originally entree, but we decided to give it a, a new concept so here we go ac ab ac ab yeah. uh yeah so uh <laughs> listeners may remember a couple of years ago there was a disabled man uh called john who got the shit beaten out of him by six cops after his psych called triple zero because they were concerned that he was sick with opiate withdrawals um and there was video footage of this from two CCTV cameras nearby. And I, I actually, sorry, before I go on, I wanted to give shout-outs to uh, our close friend, confidant member of our Inner Sanctum, Lewis, for tipping us off on this uh, development. Uh, three of the policemen have now have now been charged. So Senior Constables Brad McLeod, John Edney, and Florian Hillgart were found guilty of a combined six charges over their use of force against a pensioner outside his home on September 19th, 2017. McLeod was found guilty of three charges of unlawful assault over his use of capsicum spray from from close range for punching John in the stomach and then directing Hillgart to use the hose on him. And after using the capsicum spray, McLeod told John, "Did you like that? Did you like that? Smells good, doesn't it?" Um, and Jesus uh, other fucked abuse. The judge said McLeod's use of force was malicious uh which is good but then she also was like a bunch of this violence was totally fine like yes you should have sprayed him in the face with this high pressure hoe twice but the third time malicious you you overstepped the line there yeah um and it just strikes me as another example of what we always talk about on the show of like courts not seeing patterns and like uh i don't know yeah no you're right she's like
1: Totally. uh, But they, in, in fact, they have like very strict rules about only ever considering things in complete isolation.
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, Edney was found guilty of assault with a weapon, and unlawful assault, and Hilgard was found guilty of assault uh, because after John was handcuffed and sitting on the grass, Hilgard, uh, McLeod told him to assault him in the face with his high-pressure hose while McLeod filmed it on his phone. And during this assault, they yelled uh, more abuse at him, like, this is all you're good for, aren't you fucking tough, so on and so forth. And Hilgard is also awaiting trial on unrelated charges uh, for assaulting a 16-year-old while on duty in 2018. Uh, So... They have all been suspended with pay since 2018. Um, Literally a two-year paid vacation for uh, criminally assaulting this pensioner. And they're going to be sentenced next week. So they've been found guilty, uh, but they haven't been sentenced yet. And it looks extremely likely that they're going to get good behaviour bonds because even the fucking prosecutors aren't pushing for jail time. Uh, And just in some other, you know, news to round off the complete fuckness of this story there are three other cops involved who haven't been charged at all who didn't assault him quite as viciously as the other three so cool they're still out there um and the judge relied on cctv footage that contradicted a lot of what the officers had told the court but they're not going to be charged with perjury like any normal person would be for lying blatantly and repeatedly during a, a, a trial and um yeah, it seems likely that basically no justice is going to be served. And I just wanted to end the story with a quote from John, who um, said this in a, a victim statement that he read to the court. I'm still haunted by their giggles. I'm a human being. I deserve dignity and humanity. Fuck that, man. A-C. A-B. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well. do you want to give us yeah. some emotional whiplash, Zach?
1: Yeah, let's... <laughs> Let's do that one of our trademark hard pivots.
0: There's going to be a couple this episode.
1: Yes. Positivity corner. And so it is, yeah, positivity corner, but it is also a kind of a sad one as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so the news this week um, is that Beirut's Buchani has had refugees that is formally recognised by New Zealand <laughs> seven years after first arriving on Christmas Island. Six of, the year, of those years were spent in Australia's offshore detention system in uh, Papua New Guinea. So, if you don't know Beiruz, he uh, is a journalist who was probably the most prominent voice um, of uh, out of coming out of Manus, Manus, the Manus Island prison. Yeah, um, he wrote a book while he was in there, um, completely by text message, sending it, mm. sending text back to his um, collaborators in Australia. Um, he also, uh, directed a movie while he was there, um, taking video on his phone. Um, so he was really crucial in bringing the reality of life on Manus home to Australia mm. and also to bring it to an international audience as well. Um, and his book, uh, No Friend But The Mountains is a pretty amazing piece of work. It's very dense and, uh, lyrical and long sections of it are written in verse, um, and it also contains a kind of uh, attempt to understand, like the Australian immigration detention system, but Manus Island specifically, as uh, it, it, from a kind of academic and theoretical point of view. So he describes it as as a hierarchal system, which uh-huh, is yeah. um, an idea borrowed from uh, theological feminist theory, I believe. Right. And it's kind of an extension of the understanding of patriarchy as a system beyond gender so essentially it's it's a, an attempt to describe a number of intersecting forms of domination and submission mm. um and i you know gets at the sort of central idea that like the cruelty is the point that they were an example and sure. that uh you know yeah the, the 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 domination of the men on Manus and their subjugation was the point of the system mm. uh you know obvious and which is something that we've understood for years but so uh last year he traveled from uh, papua new guinea to new zealand for a writers festival and while he was there he applied for asylum he's now been granted a one-year work visa and he can apply for a permanent residency and then eventually citizenship down the road um cool he was granted this visa on the 23rd of July, which is exactly seven years to the day that he arrived in Australia. Wow. And it's also his birthday, which uh, which just, um, again, this it's is a, a lot of things. all Yeah. Together it's there, it's yeah. yes. There's a lot of stuff. It's a happy story, but also Jesus Christ, it's so cooked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I'll, I'll uh, finish out with this quote from him. He says, I'm very happy to have some certainty about my future. I feel relieved and secure. finally, But at the same time, I cannot fully celebrate this because so many people who were incarcerated with me are still struggling to get freedom, still in PNG, on Nauru, in detention in Australia. And even if they are released, Australia's policy still exists. I have a responsibility to those people and to that six years of my life. That's why I must work still. I cannot forget about these people or ignore that time. That would be immoral. So yeah, he's truly incredible uh, advocate, writer, and and individual, um, and how immigration detention system is a f- fascist's wet dream that continues to this day.
0: Mm. Yep. All right. Um, shall we play our new sting for our next news segment?
1: Oh, my God fucking swimming in new segments today haven't had one in months i've been too lazy to make stings but then then you came up with these ideas that were um extremely easy to produce so i was like sure the a
0: cab idea was yours but yeah yeah that's true
1: that's true but I, i just completely ripped it off from um america's most blunted which is Yeah. If you know what I'm talking about, then um, hit us (laughs) up in the comments. Uh, But yes, let's play that new sting. Say what you will about Pauline. Corey Bernardi's right about this. You know, you have to hand it to ISIS. I don't normally agree with Channel 7.
0: So, this segment is uh, currently titled Even a Broken Clock is Right Twice a Day, which used to be sort of, uh, I don't know if it used to be, but it was the motto of Ozpol shitposting that's kind of fallen by the wayside. Um,. But uh yeah, it came from a, a meme from uh Kut Coot a um close member of our Inner Sanctum and, and long term Ospol shit poster. Uh so this for our inaugural broken clock, we've got the National Party who, you know, they're the worst people I know, but they made a good point. Um
1: <laughs> that was the ultimate name for this segment, that like click hole article. Totally, yeah, yeah. Heart <laughs> the worst person yeah, you that's know. Just what... <laughs> made a great point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay, so, I feel bad for that stock photo guy. <laughs>
0: um, so the this is about uh, the Northern Territory and Western Australia each set to lose a house in, uh, sorry, a seat in the federal House of Representatives, and that's because their population growth is slowing relative to the other states. Uh, so Parliament will have 150 seats again, back down from 151, which we've had for the last few years. And the Nationals are furious about this because they're probably going to be the one who lose the seat. There are two seats in the Northern Territory. One's held by Labour, which is basically Darwin, and the other's held by the Nats, which is like basically everywhere else. Um, and they make the point that the territory is seriously underrepresented and that Tasmania's population is about twice the Northern Territory, but after this change, they're going to have four times as many MPs, so they'll be mm. twice as represented proportionally as the Northern Territory. Mm. And according to a sophologist, uh, which is like an election science guy, Anthony Green is the one that everyone knows, but there's a guy called Malcolm Macarris who came up with the, uh, the 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 pendulum. It's called the Macarris Pendulum, which is like how you calculate how many seats will change hands if there's uniform swing. Anyway, he's some guy. And he, he says that basically this is true, but actually the Northern Territory will still be the third most represented uh, state or territory in the country after this change. Even though they're only going to have one seat, they'll still have more seats per person than New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland. Really? But uh, Sorry, that's including uh, Upper and Lower House, but yes. Right. Um, So, uh, yeah, I think they'll have three representatives total, and that means that they have more reps per person than, yeah, uh, New South Wales, Victoria, and Queensland, but it is significantly less than Tasmania and the ACT. So, anyway, but representatives per person isn't really how Parliament works, like, it's just about absolute numbers of reps, so I'm not really sure that that's... A particularly, particularly helpful counterpoint,
1: yardstick, yeah,
0: yeah, and the point that the nats keep making is that the Northern territory is huge and it 's a really diverse and challenging place to represent. Uh, and I do just want to put in brackets, obviously, I don't really think parliamentarians do represent the constituents, but like, let's put that aside for the sake of the story. Um, so the the Nats are trying to put forward a uh, private member's bill to legislate that the Northern Territory must have two seats, um, which is kind of weird because like part of the good thing about Australia's parliament is that it's basically designed and run by an independent body that isn't subject to the whim of governments. So putting in legislation to be like, We want two people. It kind of defeats the purpose of having the Australian Electoral Commission. But anyway, I still think it's a good idea because I think if we're going to have parliaments, they might as well be more accurately representative of the population uh, that they're representing, and especially of groups of people and areas that are more marginalized. And just, this is like a very brief thing, but like 30% of people living in the Northern Territory are First Nations people, which is the highest proportion of anywhere in the country. So that means that like by cutting this represent the this second member of the House, a huge number of Aboriginal people are gonna lose their representative in parliament. Again, mm. insofar as people in Parliament represent the people in their seats. But yeah. And three of the ten most disadvantaged local government areas in the Northern Territory and none of the ten most advantaged. Um so yeah, these right. are this is a place in the country that needs more voice than it has and not 50 percent less yeah um and here's a quote from senator maladiri mccarthy who's a northern territory uh senator um and she was saying that the territory's like linguistic and cultural diversity makes it uh more challenging to represent than other states and she says as a you woman i don't speak pichinjara and i don't speak Yolngu, and it's important to have interpreters wherever i travel um and like that's sort of just yeah making the point that having one person to represent this enormous area that has so many different cultural groups and different nations in it is just like it's not adequate and i've got no doubt that, that senator mccarthy is actually honestly concerned but a lot of people are just treating this like political bullshit and i just wanted to finish this um broken clock segment with a, a broken clock being wrong <laughs> uh, and there's a quote from Giant shit cunt David Littleproud, who's a nationals. Uh, is he an MP or a senator? He's an MP. Think he's, yeah. Yeah, I think he's an MP, yeah. In Queensland, yeah. And he says, In Queensland, they used to call it a gerrymander, but I'm a proud Queenslander with national party roots, and I think it's more about representing your people effectively. I think that's hilarious because, <laughs> like. He's saying the quiet part you definitely loud. Definitely shouldn't be saying that
1: out loud, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, no, like, look, it's true. Little Proud has never been the smoothest political operator, and he is, no. like, deeply disliked even within the National's party room, which doesn't even say that much, actually, no, no. about a National's like politician because they all fucking yeah. hate each other. But, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, he's regarded as a little bit of a joke, I think. Yeah. And, yeah, he so does anyway, look kind of like a milk popsicle.
0: He does. He's not quite a pickle boy, he's a little bit milkier than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh anyway yeah so uh, like i do think some people are concerned about this for the right reasons but i think a lot of people are concerned about it because the Nats are going to lose a seat and they want a seat so yeah anyway that's that's a broken clock i'm um, looking forward to more broken clocks being
1: right in the future thanks for the uh new segment noon thank you i can't wait to hear about more assholes accidentally saying a good thing
0: yep all right, so with more emotional whiplash, uh, why don't we move on to our First Nations story, which is another especially heavy one this week?
1: Yeah, this is a really awful story, and um, we're so you know content warning on this that there's a description of uh, gendered violence, domestic violence, um, violence against a child, sexual violence. Um, it's And, and it, the story also cona- contains the names of Aboriginal people who have died. So we're going to put um, uh, time codes in the show notes for when you can skip uh, to in order to skip this story. Um, but uh, uh, in general, we're going to do our best not to go into more detail than we need to in order to describe the story. Um, yeah. And if you want to know more, uh, we'd encourage you to, to look it up yourself. So, um, in, in, in Broome in Western Australia in 2013, uh, a baby named Charlie Mulally was murdered by his mother's partner, a man named Mervyn Bell. So earlier, Bell had badly beaten Charlie's mother, Tamika, who is a Yamachi woman. He'd stripped her naked and left her on the side of the road. A judge later described her injuries, um, saying that they would have killed her if, um, had, if she hadn't received medical attention. But uh, when the police were called um, to where Tamika had been left, uh, Bell was gone and the cops arrested Tamika for assaulting a police officer. Bell later went to the house where Charlie, baby Charlie, was being looked after and uh, Bell took him. Tamika's father, Ted Mullaly, went to the police several times asking them to look for Charlie, telling them that Bell had threatened to kill Charlie. Uh, But a later investigation showed that the police took hours to put out an alert for Charlie and start a search for him. When they did so, they put out an alert with the wrong license plate for Bell. Fucking hell. Yeah, so just absolute, absolutely terrible response from the cops on this.
0: It's just like the intersection between incompetence and malice of, like, arresting the Victim and failing oh, to do anything about it, and then when you do anything about it, do it wrong, like yeah, just absolutely
1: yeah. shocking, just yeah, you, you couldn't have said it better myself. the intersection between neglect and malice, yeah, but so Mervyn Bell had Charlie for 15 hours, uh, during which time he tortured him and killed him, and he left his body in a roadhouse. so uh, a year later, Bell was found guilty. Um, And then he killed himself in prison a year after that. In 2015, Tamika Mulally was convicted and fined for assaulting a police officer. She was given a suspended sentence of one year. The magistrate said that he, you know, didn't want to send her to jail because of what she'd been through. But, you know, he still did convict her. Um, And her father was also convicted of, of obstructing police and fined.
0: For repeatedly asking them to find his grandson who'd been kidnapped and tortured to death, That's yeah, what I, instructing I'm not. Police was
1: I'm not exactly. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the what it was. I, I think that I mean, obviously, like the family was really distressed. Tamika mm. was was really badly hurt and and like you know, traumatized. Yeah, yeah, and the cops are coming and and arresting her, and they were I think yeah. were just desperately trying to get the cops to no. You know, I'm not the person who needs to be arrested. My daughter isn't the person that that needs to be arrested. You need to go and find this guy who has her child. So in 2016, um, the Western Australian Corruption and Crime Commission, which I'm assuming is there, you know, similar to ICAC or whatever. Yeah. um, They released a report which found that the police response was, quote, delayed and ineffective, but there was, quote, no serious misconduct. They found that the police didn't treat Tamika as a victim of assault. Apparently, they didn't know how bad her injuries were, which is just ridiculous that you can physically like arrest someone and not know that she had like a broken collarbone. Someone and, like, who's
0: like, naked and beaten by the side of the road. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just again, you know, so many horrifying. different kind of um, prejudices uh, intersecting mm. here to create this police response. And so they didn't um, pursue Mervyn Bell in order to try and charge him with of assaulting Taminka. Of course not. yeah. yeah. Uh, and some officers, in fact, blame the delay in searching for Charlie on Taminka's aggressive behaviour. Um, uh, it also came out during this uh, in, in this report that the police didn't interview the two women who were looking after Charlie when he was taken until the following day. And uh, I've got a quote here from the lawyers who were representing the Malayli family. At the time, they said if police had acted in a timely fashion, instead of attending to matters such as the processing of Miss Moleley for the charge of assaulting police, but instead had attended to locating and finding the deceased and Mister Bell, the death of Baby Charles could have been avoided. So, yeah, I Which, mean, just... again,
0: remembering that he had him and tortured him for 15 hours, like that's almost definitely true. That if they'd found him before, then this would have turned out differently.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it seems pretty apparent to me that that's true. Yes, yeah. Um, but so, yeah, this is, I mean, the, the the police totally fucking mishandled this. And then year after year, it was just further and further uh, humiliation and disregard by the justice system. Mm. Um, and it's in the news now because the family has been uh, cor- calling for a coronial inquest into Charlie's death, arguing that an inquest must be held if it appears that, that uh, police actions either caused or contributed to a death, which, I mean, I think As you we've were As we just 90, said,
0: it seems like it, it probably did. Yeah, you
1: would agree that, that would that's the case. But this week, the Western Australian Supreme Court rejected that request. The judge said that the police did not, quote, breach any obligation or depart from any norm or standard by not taking baby Charlie into care, which seems to conflict with the facts to me, but yep so uh i've got a quote here i'm going to read from tamika she said this is another slap in the face for me and my family the police arrested me and charged my dad for protecting me when i was the victim of a vicious bashing the police left my baby at the scene without asking about his safety the police refused to look for my baby when my dad and i told him he had been abducted it is clear to me that little black lives don't matter in western australia We wanted the coroner to examine whether the police followed protocols on child safety and whether they left Charlie in an unsafe place. We want to know, why did the police harass and arrest me, a victim of domestic violence, after I had been brutally bashed? Why didn't the police look for my baby when we told them he had been abducted and that his life was at risk? So the family is now trying to, as a next step, meet with the Western Australian Attorney General to try and get him to get the coroner to investigate Charlie's death. Mm. Um, and you can email the, the Attorney General of Western Australia and tell him that, you know, you want this in, in investigation to happen. And uh, we'll put the email for the, the Western Australian AG in the show notes um, if, you, uh, if you're interested in doing that. So... I guess I wanted to have just a quick discussion about why we're talking about this on the show because this is a this is just a, like an absolutely incomprehensibly horrific story, obviously. Mm. Um, and the I we try not to you know necessarily cover things that, uh, you know, I I hate the fact that. Uh, it, when we discuss first nation issues it 's almost always something that would probably traumatize like Aboriginal people listening to the show or mm. you know be, and it 's hard to listen to for anyone else as well um and in the case you know a case like this that is so kind of like the details are just just so fucking horrifying it's we yeah i mean noon and i we weren 't sure whether or not to discuss it, but at the end of the day, I think it is an important story to talk mm. about because. Mm the fact that this mother and child are Aboriginal is central to the story. It's central to the way that the police responded to them. It's central to the way that the justice system responded to them. Mm. So, I mean, it's just basically impossible to imagine this neglectful response by the cops and then a refusal to acknowledge that neglect by the justice system happening to a white family. It's just... I, I, I can't I can't picture it happening, honestly.
0: Um I think, yeah, you also kind of alluded to this that like we fucking hate every week that our First Nations story, or nearly every week, is something horrible, that someone's died, or that the justice system has done its thing again. But like we say every week at the top of the show, like colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that are continuing literally, like right now, and until we decolonize and hand back the land to traditional owners, that's not going to stop. And unfortunately, that means that a lot of our First Nations stories are going to be covering that ongoing genocide um, because it's really one of the biggest stories in the country every single day, and it doesn't get enough acknowledgement in anywhere. Yeah. So anyway, we hate... Ha- like having to do these stories and obviously it's unpleasant for you guys to listen to, but it's important and it's what's happening.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's the, it's the story that the nation of Australia is built on. It's the, fa- it's yes. the foundational story yeah. of this country. Yeah. Um, just before we get off this, I, I just wanted to draw another connection. Um, the uh, Another thing that's been circulating this week on social media is the Raise the Age campaign which is a campaign to raise the age of criminal responsibility in Australia from 10 to 14 because kids that are between 10 and 13 years old can still be put through the justice system and convicted of crimes. In the year 2018 to 19, just under 800 kids under 14 years of age were placed on court orders requiring supervision in the community by youth justice officers. About two-thirds of those kids went into juvenile detention. And of all of these kids... No fucking surprise. 65% of them were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. Oh, we know that. Just a you know, reminder, places- that's approximately
0: 3% of the population. So yes. that, that's like a, what, two 2,000% 2, overrepresentation? Something like that? Yeah, I'm bad I mean, ass, but yeah, it's can't just You can look ridiculous. at these
1: numbers and not understand them to be the product of systemic yeah. racism. It's just, yeah. you know, I, I think it's it's extremely plain. And yeah, I mean, it's even more extreme in some cases. We know that youth some juvenile detention centres in the Northern Territory, 100% of the kids in there. Uh, well, no, are every Arab- single child in detention
0: it, in the Northern Territory is Aboriginal or Torres Strait. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think, you know, it's important to draw a line from the way that the police responded to the case of baby Charlie mm, being kidnapped mm. and killed and their criminis- criminalization of kids as young as 10 years old. You know, you have to understand these policies and attitudes as, as you say, Noon, as a continuation of colonialism, but as as structural racism in practice. You know, mm. you have to look at who the the police and the justice system choose to protect and who they choose to punish. Because mm. while racism might not be explicitly written into our laws, but in practice... our like, It might as well be, yeah. Exactly. That, like, that's the effect that they have. So... Uh, the, the Raise the Edge campaign. You can. Um, that's, there's a petition circulating at the moment um, that you can sign. We'll also put a link to that in the show notes.
0: All right. Well, thanks for taking us through that, Zach. And now we're gonna emotional whiplash the other direction again. So, do you want to play that sting? You
1: fucked up. Yeah. This is. <laughs> sorry. Like. Okay. Yeah. No. We'll, we'll get into something a little bit less uh, heavy now. Um, And one of the best sort of running jokes in Australian politics, I reckon.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this was one that we even memorialized in the name of OzPol shitposting for 28 days, Tim (laughs) Wilson corruption posting. Um, And uh, people who were around at the time may remember that that was confusingly retitled Tim Winton corruption posting, (laughs) because Tim Winton had... That was actually just when we started the show. Remember we did that story about him being like, actually bullying is good for kids. Um, (laughs) That's that's Tim Winton, sorry. I Uh, forgot uh, about that. I'm definitely confusing the listeners no this one is about Tim wilson uh king of the pickle boys um <laughs> one of the <laughs> briniest soggiest sausages in a jar he in is all of Australia
1: very slippery he's a slippery and he's a slippery fuck he he was born
0: from his pickle brine and given a job at the institute of public affairs uh that was sort of his first thing that he did and he was while he was there he was the director of climate change policy and of intellectual property and free trade god and during this time he argued against the plain uh, cigarette packaging and called for the abolition of the human rights commission which hold that in mind for a sec and he also (laughs) um sent like 800 freedom of information requests to the bureau of meteorology uh, no it was to
1: the department of climate change Oh, right, and, okay,
0: Department of Climate Change, sorry. Yeah,
1: and he he sent over 400 Freedom of Information requests in one day while he was at the IPA yes. to, the, yeah. and, to the Department of and, Climate Change.
0: And he was warned that it might be vexatious and that he could get in trouble if he kept doing it. All right, so uh, immediately taken out of this new IPA pickle jar and put into the job as the Human Rights Commissioner by Tony Abbott, which you may recall... He was repeatedly calling for the abolition of the Human Rights Commission. So, of course, he was popped into that job. Uh, Tactic that we see Trump deploying also pretty ineffectively, like, uh, sorry to do a bit of us poll, uh, Zach, but Betsy DeVos being given the education uh, secretary gig because she wants to abolish public education. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's,
1: I've just been rewatching The Wire, and it's, I think, in season three, The like top cops want to basically abolish the major crimes unit, so they just put in, they just install a lieutenant whose entire job is to dismantle the unit. That's right. Yeah. 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 It remains one of the best shows about the way that American institutions operate. And uh, yeah, but uh, and like everything else that the states does, we do the same thing but shitter. And so instead of some (laughs) steel nosed wrecking ball political operator, we get this floppy little libertarian.
0: Wiener.
1: Wiener, thank you.
0: Yeah, so while he was in the Human Rights Commission job, he tried to weaken 18C, which is the protection against hate speech, and he argued in favour of Andrew Bolt while he was being prosecuted for being illegally racist against Aboriginal folks. Um, and uh, I just wanted to read this quote from the Sydney Morning Herald at the time. Attorney General George Brandis made it clear Mr. Wilson's $325,000-a-year appointment was made on both political and ideological grounds. Um, so, yeah, cool. Uh, so anyway, he's uh, Tim Wilson is in trouble this week because it's been revealed that he used his official human rights commission email account to organize ipa events and liberal party events Um, i'm sure most of our listeners know but the ipa institute of public affairs is like the non-political wing of the liberal party basically Um, and wilson knew this was against the rules he resigned from the liberal party when he was given the job like after he was given the job, obviously, uh, but and, and while he was in the gig, he got a, an email from a Liberal Party official saying, "Your new position creates opportunities to raise issues on to a national level." And Tim replied, "Thanks for your email. As Human Rights Commissioner, I'm unable to come and speak at fundraisers. You may want to contact so and so at the Institute of Public Affairs." Um, but it's been revealed this week that he, yeah, was using his email uh, for to organise fundraisers to organise uh, like conservatives from America to come and speak at IPA events, and also to uh, solicit support for his run at Parliament, which he did just after he resigned. And actually, hilariously, he like resigned, announced his running for Parliament, and then a few weeks later, the resignation came into effect, so it seems like maybe that was also dodgy he mm. just timed that badly. But yeah, so he used his uh, official email to solicit support for this run for parliament which is definitely against the rules and two former commissioners graham innes and tim sapamasani called the use of the account quote inappropriate um so it's unlikely he's going to get in much trouble for this because he's already in fucking parliament and our (laughs) like justice system obviously isn't designed to stop pickle boys from the ipa corruptly using their power to get into Mm -hmm. parliament Mm -hmm. uh but it is a bit embarrassing and there's just been another tiny little smattering of corruption uh, that's come out since then. Uh, it's not exactly corruption, but it's hardcore hypocrisy. Um, he's part of a group of giant sausage nerds in Parliament who call themselves the Oh, the, the fucking Wolverines,
1: Wolverines? Oh, my God.
0: Who, like... <laughs> so pathetic. Jesus. It's it's a reference to a film about... Some, yeah, Red Dawn. Like, a... We've, I've talked right, about right, them right.
1: on the podcast before. It was a while ago now. It's yeah, funny yeah. that you don't... You, you haven't seen Red Dawn?
0: No, but I know about it. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I mean,
1: it. it's a movie in which a bunch of kids... Like, you know, it's tomorrow when the war began, but in America... Uh, and which against
0: is, Soviet Russia, isn't it?
1: Yeah, uh, at least in the oh, original. The in the remake, it was right. um China, but then they quickly had to rebrand it to like change all the flags digitally to be North Korea because China got mad. Um, Hilarious. Yeah, I tried to watch it one time, the original, and uh, it has a scene where this bunch of children execute one of their own party because he had given information to the enemy and i was like this is fucked Jesus Christ. this is yeah. like <laughs> this is the propaganda you're showing your children like oh, oh really it it tears me up to shoot my friend in the face but i have to do it because he's a traitor to my nation anyway so that's the movie that these fucking wieners are referencing go on
0: it's also the same people who always talk about the purges in Soviet Russia. But anyway, um, so the the Wolverines are these IPA pickle sausage boys who hate China. Um, and Tim Wilson recently said that Huawei, the like uh, telecoms giant, uh, is a, quote, greater moral evil than poker machines, which obviously he thinks that, of course. Um, yeah, because as a libertarian, people
1: should be free to be constantly exploited by corporations that they're own free will
0: except not Chinese corporations.
1: No no that's yeah. a great moral evil note.
0: Yes yeah. So but it's just been reported on Friday uh by the Australian Financial Review that in 2012 he went on a 5-day tour paid for by Huawei through China which uh, Huawei <laughs> says was worth about $20,000 that I assume <laughs> that was like a ma- massive lowball. Um but anyway he and and he and his boss John Roscom who's also an IPA guy who's a piece of shit who i have a personal hatred for um <laughs> uh both went on this tour and like came back and were like huawei's fabulous they should run our 5g network it's terrible that julia gillard isn't letting huawei build our uh telecoms network and now the wolverines are, uh like spend all their time getting angry hard-ons to yell about china and huawei so anyway I wonder what changed tim, uh, tim-
1: i had not heard about that one yeah he's such a fucking he he's and I last week said that uh, I reckon Erica Betts is in the top five slimiest politicians in parliament. Yeah. I reckon that Tim Wilson might be close to number one. He's not the worst politician, but he is potentially the most smug, which is, I know, stiff competition. But like this... Yeah, that's right. This story with the you know him using his Human Rights Commission email to do some dodgy shit, it's not a, a huge deal. Like, it shows that no. he's entitled... And that there is like very few checks and balances on people, and that the government is that governments are very happy to make flagrantly partisan appointments to what are supposed to be non political mm. positions. But the de- the like, the je ne sais quoi of this story is just in the detail. And yeah. like, so th- this came out after some freedom of information requests were made of uh, of the Human Rights Commission uh by the guardian i'm pretty sure Mm. um and the story is like they they reached out to tim wilson for comment and his response was so funny so he 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 had uh attempted to prevent the freedom of information request going through about his emails and then when the guardian was like uh uh interviewed him about it he was like i don't know why you're talking to me about this it's a non-story he kept saying it's a non-story it's a total non-story which is a surefire way to turn a journalist off the sense oh it's it's not a story? Oh, there well, must like, be something. I guess, I'll, yeah. I guess I'll stop investigating it then. And they were like, okay, well, if it's a non-story, then how come you tried to stop this freedom of inf- information request? And he was like, I was just doing it to toy with them. You know, I just wanted them to make them think that there was something salacious in my emails to get them all excited just so they would be extra disappointed. And and then he went on to, like, talk about how they had wasted the time of the Human Rights Commission <laughs> by making all yeah, these freedom of information requests. Duties. yeah. This coming from a dude who wrote 440 freedom freedom of information requests to the Department of Climate Change in one fucking day. And also, oh, you really worried about wasting the time of the Human Rights Commission? You did try to abolish it, you fucking wiener. Anyway... Uh, that's the main reason why uh, I wanted to talk about Tim Wilson this week yeah, just like,
0: uh, Zach was like make sure you include the line about toying and like sent me a link to the thing so I could get the quote uh, it was last night at like 10 o'clock and I was like yeah yeah cool I'll pop it in the notes and I immediately <laughs> fell asleep and didn't so Zach had to just do that last little bit with the fun toying uh, details so thank that's you,
1: cool but, you know I, <laughs> um, it came off the dome with it so hopefully the quotes are, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, look he definitely said salacious because he's a fucking piece of shit <laughs> Anyway, uh, time to to move on. Time to move on. Yep. Hey man, I got some more beers. Oh,
0: I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick.
1: No, come on. We're having another round of Coronas. Yeah, so, Corona continues. The numbers are still very high in Victoria. We're not setting a new record every day anymore, which is something, but... But we did yesterday. And we recorded a record number of deaths, um as well which is um all everybody who who died yesterday was uh, over 70 years old um and it points to uh another issue which has been talked about which is the aged care system uh, in victoria Mm. is on the brink of collapse basically um and the government is about to introduce uh, new regulations which will mean that uh care workers can only work at one aged care facility um which um a number of Uh, workers in the industry work at multiple places where they have sort of various part-time positions. And uh, uh, there's fears that this is going to like massively reduce the amount of available workers. So that's a real problem. Um, We're not going to talk about that in a huge amount of detail, but that's kind of an ongoing situation that we're going to try and keep an eye on. Uh, Other elsewhere in Victoria, uh, masks are now mandatory. Basically anywhere you go, you can cop a fine. Uh, because obviously, it makes much more sense for the police to hand you a ticket than a mask um, if you're out with yes, that one. But of whatever. The other cool thing that's going to be happening is that the Australian Defence Force might come knocking on your door if you don't answer your phone to government contact traces. I think it's if uh, they try to call you twice and you don't pick up, then they'll uh, send out the ADF, which, like, that doesn't seem good. <laughs>
0: No, I, there was actually some interesting discourse in uh, OzPol shitposting a couple of weeks ago uh, about how kind of weirdly in Australia the army is significantly less fashy than the cops. Um, and like... Obviously, that's not true in America, and it's obviously not true of Australian troops in Iraq or Afghanistan, as we've seen with, like, this Confederate flag thing Jesus this week, Christ. which we're not going to be talking about, but, like, is a... We do, we... Thing. Yeah, we-, we
1: need to... I, every week uh, for the past, like, three weeks, I've put that in the notes, and we haven't had time for it, but we'll it get just to it. There's just not been time, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, I, I do agree that sending the army is maybe the wrong, like, yeah, a uh, wrong... Uh, visual or something like it's it seems pretty shit sending troops to like i don't know we're seeing in portland federal troops uh snatching people off the streets and maybe this isn't the time for the military to be deployed to deal with civilian issues but yeah i I do actually think that in australia it's maybe like i would probably rather deal with an army dude than a cop most of the time
1: hot take. um yeah i mean they're already like wandering around uh they've been sighted in like royal park and yeah Yeah, exactly um Which, yeah, I don't know. I mean, as you say, there's something extremely discomforting about seeing the military wandering your neighbourhood. But I think it comes down to also the fact that the government doesn't have another body that it can mobilise beyond the cops and the ADF for these responses, um, which that's really fucking depressing. (laughs) That's just so sad. And, like, yeah, and and troubling. But anyway... um, What we really wanted to talk about this week was uh, the changes to the government support um, throughout the corona crisis. So the government is now, after a few months of carefully avoiding the subject, uh, made it very... Basically described how they're going to start tightening uh, the corona supplements. Um, So... For JobKeeper, uh, if you for full time people, full time workers who are on JobKeeper currently, they're um, getting fifteen hundred dollars a fortnight. That's going to go down to twelve hundred in September and one thousand by January um, to end in March. Uh, if you're a part time worker on JobKeeper, that fifteen hundred a fortnight is now going to go down to seven hundred and fifty in September. So it's going to be halved, and it's going to be reduced by a further hundred dollars in January. So big, big hit for part-time workers. It's also going to be a tightening of the eligibility of businesses. So businesses are going to have to report more often and show that they're consistently losing business. Um, And uh, Frydenberg, uh, our treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, has estimated that eligible workers for the the people who are going to be eligible for JobKeeper are going to be down to 1 million from uh, 3.5 million at the moment. Um, that's, That's by next year
0: um i'm going to, we're going to talk about this a bit more in the mains but like it just really makes you wonder what they think these payments were for right like yeah isn't yeah the i find it a very curious make the economy go burr like why are they cutting this while we're getting into worse and worse corona land yeah like, not only just... is like
1: the economy is getting worse but also we're in extremely uncertain point with the yeah. with the virus itself um yeah. and not just in victoria but things are looking pretty uh, fucking dicey in new south wales at the moment as well
0: yeah <sighs> yeah I, no i, think I we I, said I, this quite often early on when we were first like looking at corona and being like oh is this a big deal whatever whatever and like that it seemed like the government couldn't even bring themselves to help the economy you know and like Mm. they finally 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 put out job job keeper of like these like relatively small payments to help the economy going but they just can't even make themselves keep the economy running now (laughs) they're just like no we have to cut welfare (laughs) it's vitally important that we ruin everything anyway sorry yeah i'll I'll do more of that rant a bit later on but it's like this knee-jerk
1: response of oh fuck well i guess we have to do this thing and now it's like I don't know. They're they're coming to their senses and being like, "Wait, we gave them how much? What money? did we do?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so yeah, job seeker is also going to be cut. So at the moment, the job seekers are getting a, a five hundred and fifty dollar a fortnight supplement, which is basically a doubling of the the base rate. That's going to be down to a two hundred and fifty dollar supplement in uh, September, and. The other big announcement was that uh, JobSeeker, which was initially slated to end in September, is going to be extended to December, but there's nothing certain past that point. And the base yep. rate of JobSeeker is, is remaining unchanged. The government hasn't said anything about what they're going to do with that. Um, the other change is that you're going to be able to earn a little bit more money before your payment is affected. Um, so you, you'll be able to earn up to $300 a fortnight, which is up from $100 Uh So the idea of this, obviously, is to squeeze people off the payment and into jobs. Like, oh, yeah, no, we're cutting the amount of support you get from the government by $300, but you can earn up to $300 a fortnight before we start to reduce your payment even further. Um, But, of course, they're trying to squeeze people off the payment into jobs that just aren't there. They don't fucking exist. For every job vacancy, there are 13 people who are either on JobSeeker or Youth Allowance. Nationwide. So... The other thing that's coming in is mutual obligations, which okay. is when uh, you know you're on uh, the job seeker payment it's and you have to go horrible to horrible win- euphemism are, as well. Such mutual a bad obligations.
0: Euphemism. It like implies that they're doing literally anything for you, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it's a horrible, uh, a horrible euphemism, horrible government speak. Um, but to, so- to be
0: clear, it's the th- requirements that job seeker providers give to people on welfare. To job service providers show that they're sorry yes uh, to make them show that they're like trying to get a job basically yeah so
1: people are gonna have to prove that they're um doing four job searches a month um as of now and by uh, september that number is going to increase apparently but they haven't put a solid number on it we know that this is fucking bullshit that the job service provider mm. industry is just a s- fucking scam top to bottom like
0: there was a really good thread and o- Ospol shit posting about it this week uh, of like the worst jobs that job service providers have tried to make you do, and people being like, Yeah, I've got a PhD in biochemistry. And they suggested maybe I should be a, a chef because there's like vinegar involved and that's an organic chemical, shit like that. So Jesus. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You... Uh, yeah I saw someone else saying that, Yeah, no, I'd been uh, like teaching at uni for multiple years, and they were like, No, no, no. What actual job experience do you have? So it's, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like it's a fucking scam and also an extremely poorly run one at that and one that is yeah like just completely disregards people like in the arts or who have any kind of employment that isn't like hospitality Um, yeah yeah so the government's also bringing assets tests back in and they're increasing the partner income tests so if you're the uh you're going to be Garnished more of your payment the more that your partner earns so just all around the board they're tightening eligibility bringing payments down they're just very slowly stepping down the amount of support that people get over the next few months now research from the Australia Institute has showed that the this job seeker cut is going to put three hundred and seventy thousand people below the poverty line that includes eighty thousand children so you know, meanwhile, surrounding this, the conservative, like, spin machine has fucking heaved into action. A quote here from Scott Morrison, he says that he's received, quote, a lot of anecdotal feedback from small businesses, even large businesses, where some of them are finding it hard to get people to come and take the shifts because they're on these higher levels of payment. The Australian- oh, yeah, It's
0: almost certainly the higher levels of payment and not the fucking pandemic that could literally kill anyone if they go to work.
1: Also, yeah, it's, it's definitely it's the just, welfare. It's just fucking it. garbage as well. Like the, the Australian ran yeah. this on their front page as well. The headline: "Jobless opt for doll over work," which is just ah. Oh, you can you can hear the editors at the Oz just fucking salivating as they type that shit out. Um, but- I've said this
0: before. I, I personally, I'm glad I'm on the doll and not employed. But I think there's really good like research that shows that nearly everyone actually wants a job. And I, I'm a vast outlier here, but like, it's just like the such they can't let go of this narrative. It's just, that-
1: oh God, they cannot stop de- fogging this fucking dead horse. But in, in this specific instance, this claim is based on statistics released by the uh, the National Skills Commission. Completely dodgy analysis by the government on this. Like, they just cherry picked these figures. The Guardian analysis of those same stats showed that of the 2,324 employers that were surveyed, only 72 said that they were having difficulty recruiting people due to lack of applicants. So this is just... It's complete fucking garbage. Um, And I will say here, because we are about to lay into Labor and Albanese specifically a little bit, but Labor and the Greens did push back a little bit against this rhetoric from the government, basically saying, stop demonizing unemployed people, you fucking monsters
0: good but that is the bare minimum that you should expect (laughs) of a party who (laughs) claims
1: to be nominally left yes um but also you know i think it's important to note amongst this uh that job seeker is actually more than you might earn at a part-time hospital job at the moment yeah but i love that like the response to that It's like, oh, obviously the problem here is that the welfare is too high. Not that casual jobs just pay fucking shit all.
0: Less than minimum wage. Yeah.
1: It's just so backwards. so, yes, let's talk a little bit about how Labor has responded to this. I've got a little Mm -hmm. quote here. A little quote here from an Anthony Albanese interview. Why don't we take a listen to that, Noon? Does it seem fair to reduce these rates, have a tiered system, and keep them in place until March? Is that what you would want to see?
0: Well, we certainly didn't want to see snapback, which is what the government said would happen. That would have snapped the economy, frankly. Uh, We have expressed our concern in the past that some 875,000 people have been given more money now there through JobKeeper than they were earning before the crisis. And that's added billions of dollars uh, to the deficit. Uh, That never made uh, any sense, and we pointed that out from the beginning
1: <laughs> it 's not funny it's just it 's not funny uh, but uh, watching noon 's face um, <coughs> was funny um, yeah, so later in the, that interview he calls it a waste that uh, people were getting some people were getting paid more <laughs> under the uh, corona supplements than they were before. He was challenged on that by um, by Trioli, the interviewer. Um, but, you know, she was like, uh, "Is don't you need to get money to low income people in order to stimulate the economy? And also it had to be done quickly. So maybe they're not, not going to have the time to like, make sure that everybody gets the exact same amount that they were getting before the crisis. Albanese responded, he was like, they should have gone to the ATO and gotten data on how much individual people were making. And then made sure that they, sure that they weren't given more money than they were making before the crisis. And this is, like, not some off-the-cuff shit from him. This is a prepared line. He's got stats ready to go. I think the number was, like, 875,000 people yep, got more yep. money uh, on the supplements. So this is a line that he's running and and the Labour Party is running. Um, but, like, okay, if you want to talk about this, then let's fucking talk about it. Who are you talking about? Who got more money from the uh, of with the corona supplements, and they were earning before the crisis. It's people, the lowest ten percent of income earners in the country. That's who you're fucking talking about. Who are these people? They're workers, you asshole. These are. Well, I don't think the, the- Labour
0: Party would be interested in helping workers, Zach. I think you're barking up the wrong tree there. <sighs> I mean, I'm being sarcastic, but disappointingly, it's just literally true. Like, I mean, yep.
1: what what the fuck else are we supposed to? like take from that this, this is a
0: phrase that uh the, the commentariat in this country loves the the abc <laughs> liberal progressives that relevance deprivation syndrome um, but it's fucking true like no one has heard from elbow this entire fucking time and i don't think anyone except political nerds listen to this interview because he has no f- fucking relevance to the whole situation but he's just really digging himself a grave here like maybe he would have more relevance if he didn't try and outflank the conservatives from the right on budget like hawkishness during an economic and medical catastrophe like I uh, yeah, just I, genius no
1: I find it completely uh, bamboozling <laughs> I don't understand it <laughs> at all and that brings us to our shitpost of the week post of the
0: week.
1: Uh, we're staying on Albo here for a little bit, so I just want to uh, give a shout-out to Alex Hartman, who posted this into the ship posting Facebook group. Thank you for the layup Remember assist on Sanctum? this one. Thank you, um, Yes. Uh, and he, he posted this uh, tweet by Anthony Albanese with the caption, uh, this is the type of attack ad you'd see in a dream journal, which I thought was uh, <laughs> a hilarious comment. So, Anthony... Albanese from his Twitter official Twitter account posted this uh, graphic, which says it's time to it's permanently a generous term for it. <laughs> it's time to permanently increase job seeker. And then it's got two panels, Labor and Liberals. And under Labor, it says forty dollars a day isn't enough to live on. And under the Liberals, it says question mark, <laughs> as if this is some kind of like. Huge policy statement, or like they've really come out and said it. They're drawing a line in the sand. Forty dollars a day isn't enough to live on. Okay, so how much is labour? Are you? Uh, well, how much? Look, what, how much of an increase are we calling payment, for? Exact. Oh, yeah, yeah no, yeah, sorry,
0: no, no, less welfare, less welfare. Yeah, no,
1: no, we don't it's want people to be earning on. more from welfare than they would if they are working but also $40 a day isn't enough to live. And we're like, what the fuck are these people talking about? And that's why I think I'm bamboozled and confused by their messaging because it's confusing and bamboozling messaging. They're just constantly yep. contradicting themselves. And It's just a woozle wazzle. It's a total woozle-wuzzle. Start to finish, it's a woozle-wuzzle. Like, this does not constitute any kind of material political opposition to people living below the poverty line when they're on welfare, okay? that This just doesn't represent that. You saying that, oh, like, yeah, we acknowledge that it's happening and then not saying anything about what you're going to do about it is just fucking mealy-mouthed cowardice. These people are so useless and right now we need them more than ever, but they're completely failing us. I'm like, maybe we go a little bit hard on Albo and Labour, you know, comparatively speaking to the libs just because like i mean we take it for granted higher expectations we we do we have some expectations of them yeah yeah. it it reminds me of um that uh you know that comic it it circulates every time there's an election it's like uh, a little comic with little animals that says you can't waste your vote and it explains like preferential voting and it has a little bunch of example parties and the liberals are like the, like, the obvious bastard party. And the Labour um, example is the uh, partial bastard party.
0: And I just really want... Well, like, our very first ever shit post of the week, where there's, like, <laughs> liberal immigration policy, monkey-drowning human, Labour... Uh, Immigration policy monkey in a birthday hat drowning human. Uh, It's just the same shit. I just
1: want my monkey drowning partial bastards to show just a little bit of spine and stand up for the people that they are supposed to and claim to represent. But I guess we're not going to get that. Anyway, uh, that was just a hilarious, like, you couldn't make up a better illustration of how, yeah. Of how fucking pathetic the current political posturing of the Labour Party is, um. So, uh, that's why I wanted to give it shit post of the week. All right, now we're and massively over time.
0: Yeah, um, welcome back to Oz Feast Pod, the podcast oh where we run for an hour and a half every week. Apparently, oh, yeah, Jesus. I know. I don't think we'll go quite that long, but uh, yeah. So, um, we're about to start mains, and for our main course, we're having fried Friedenberg burgers. Um, mm, because nice. uh. Oh, the runner-up
1: was fried in burgers, which also could have worked, but you know.
0: Yeah, it could have worked, yeah. Um, But, I mean, I think it's good that we did that segment first, because really I think it's important to remember that when we talk about economics and whatever, there are actual people at the other end of it who don't have enough money for rent or food or Mm -hmm. to send their kids to school or whatever. So, like, I think it's important to put what you've just said about welfare cuts and, like, pointing out how fucked that is but um i want to talk about sort of the other side which is the like number go burr side because this week was my which is the mid-year economic and fiscal outlook and yeah like it's just to sort of check on how the numbers have gone since the budget and they've gone bad is the short story <laughs> um Uh, how bad uh, you may recall listeners that very early in the pandemic they were still talking about their surplus in 2021 which lol um but like i don't think the numbers here are really going to surprise anyone the deficit has ballooned up to about 80 billion and and next year it's going to be about 180 billion so just a reminder: deficit is the difference between income and expenses right um and and that's for two reasons one is that the tax income is lower by about 30 billion dollars and the other is that they're spending a bunch more money on welfare and so on debt is also ballooning out and remember debt is like accumulated deficit every year that you have a deficit you add to the debt right mm-hmm. so there's a definite debt and deficit disaster they go together so debt is also ballooning out and will probably hit our 850 billion dollar debt ceiling in the next year or so uh, which isn't Going to be such a shit show here in Australia as it is in the U.S. Uh, you may recall that, like, they every like two to three years have a government shutdown because the debt ceiling is reached, uh, and they like yell at each other about whose fault it was. And this year, Trump was like, "Oh yeah, it's definitely my fault. I'll take that." And then a week later, he was like, "Ah, oh, maybe that wasn't a good thing to claim." Anyway, it's not going to happen so badly in Australia <laughs> because our like executive is part of the parliament, so there's not like the stalemate between whatever. It doesn't really matter. We're going to... Our debt is skyrocketing. And even these numbers... Big debts, yeah. Even these numbers are very much optimistic rose-tinted glasses kind of calculations. I'll just read this quote from the ABC. This is also based on the assumption that Melbourne and the Mitchell Shire will only be in stage three lockdown for six weeks and will be well on their way to opening up their economies again by mid-December, and also presumably that like New South Wales isn't going to have any more lockdowns or anything like that. So yeah, Uh, it's based on flagrant nonsense that (laughs) does not reflect um, the reality
1: I mean, what but, else? What else could it be based on? Let's be honest. Right. What is economics? But
0: the the other thing is that my info, like the hope is that they're like, this is the situation, this is the plan, and according to Shadow Treasurer Jim Chalmers, what we got today wasn't a plan. It wasn't even half an update. It wasn't a plan. It was a pamphlet, and that's absolutely true. Um, they keep talking about the recovery, but they seem to have basically no suggestions about what an economic recovery might involve, except. Federal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg suggested people have more babies. Genius idea. Oh my god. And I just, want to, I just want to read this quote from him. So, I won't go as far as to say like, Peter Costello, one for the mother, one for the father, and one for the country, but I can say that people should feel encouraged about the future, and the more children that we have across the country, together with their migration, we'll build our population growth, and that will be good for the economy, he said. And I think that's funny, like, I won't go as far as to say this thing that I'm saying, but I will say it. Um... <laughs> what the fuck year is this yeah for real but like this it's honestly just like it makes perfect sense because nearly all of australia's 30 last years of gdp growth of like record-setting 30 years of gdp growth came from population growth from migration and uh like i don't know it's just it's always funny to me when the liberals have to like fight between you know there's two wolves in the liberal party there's white nationalists and people who want money and most of the time they agree but as far as like migrants come that's one point that mm. those wolves disagree on but anyway I think that this proposal for more babies just shows how desperate they are because governments basically have like two levers that they use to control the economy which are monetary policy and fiscal policy which really sound like they should mean the same thing right like uh, i don't do know to whatever me. people like monetary and fiscal i'm like they need to find better words that don't sound like they mean the same thing But anyway, why so that more people policy... can
1: understand what the government's up to
0: it was a good point yeah um so fiscal policy just means like money that the government has right so like it's either spending or tax cuts which are like kind of a type of spending if you think about the like negative spending whatever so um this is like job seeker like, welfare basically is, is fiscal policy right and they've been like pushing that lever as hard as they can bring themselves to do and are now obviously like pulling it back again so that's why they're cutting job seeker and job keeper and like child care benefits and so on mm. is because they just like can't make themselves do what they know they need to do um and like i don't want to go into a big policy proposal right now but like what they should be doing is paying people to stay home and like rebuilding the economy by paying people to fix the climate emergency in a sort of green new deal kind of a thing but like obviously that's never going to happen so fuck it but (laughs) uh you can listen to our like climate cookies episode or the one about uh modern monetary theory a couple weeks ago if you want more about uh fiscal policy anyway the other side is monetary policy and this is actually about like money in the economy. So it's either about printing money and adjusting interest rates. Uh, But we basically, the government can't do either of those either. Um, And uh, here's another quote from Josh Reidenberg. During the GFC, the Reserve Bank cut interest rates by 425 basis points. Today, this would be the equivalent of up to $100 billion in fiscal support over a 12-month period. We simply don't have that luxury this time around, and we also don't have a strong flow of migrants to support growth. And the reason we don't have that, quote, luxury to cut interest rates and listeners if you don't understand about interest rates it really doesn't matter just uh when they cut interest rates people spend more money is the short version right so um but the reason that we can't cut interest rates at the moment is that we've been trying to have economic growth every single year for the last 30 years and we've been cutting interest rates uh because increasing or maintaining them is bad for the economy but the point is to do it when the economy is going well you, you lift interest rates and reduce spending. It's bad for the economy, but you do it when the economy's going well. So if there's a crash like some kind of, say, international pandemic, you can then cut them to stimulate the economy. But who is it that's been in power for most of the last 30 years that has kept cutting interest rates? Is it the Greens? Mm. Is it the Labour Party?
1: It's is the is Greens it- if you ask the Labour Party
0: exactly yeah or the liberals yeah it's definitely the Greens. no it's it's the fucking labor party um uh, sorry the liberal party the liberal party have been i mean it's been both but mainly the liberals they've been cutting interest rates and cutting interest rates and refusing to lift them because they want economic growth because they're good economic managers but now when we need to do it they can't because they're fucking useless pieces of shit (laughs) um so what is josh freidenberg proposing other than have more babies he can't add more welfare and he can't cut interest rates so what he's saying is that he wants the most dynamic and the most flexible economy possible which as far as i can tell means tax cuts so that's my my EFO ifo update or uh, yeah so and um if you've been reading about josh freidenberg's new economic plan it it's just cut welfare and, and oh and have babies taxes and have babies yeah yeah yeah, yeah but sorry I, I was gonna say the the babies thing just shows how desperate he is because like literally it's like oh we can't do this thing we can't do that thing we we literally can't do any of the things that might help so we just have to like beg random horny people to have kids <laughs> I just, i'm uh, really trying like to the, picture that's the our person economic plan
1: i'm trying to picture the person or the couple who's like on the edge about having a kid <laughs> and is like oh well the the treasurer said that we should do it, and that's what tips them over the line. They're like, "All right, yeah, all right, if, uh, I've been, have one for Josh. Why not? We've already had one for Mum and one for Dad."
0: <laughs> I've been uh, watching Fleabag recently, uh, which is a great show. Uh, great show uh, and there's a, a scene where she's having a wink to Obama, giving some like <laughs> little political speech, uh, and yeah. I, I do remember that. I imagine that's who the people are who are having babies, the people who are just like already having a wank to Josh Frydenberg and were like, "Oh, well,
1: we may as well go, sure. go to home base while we're here." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <the laughs> fucking hell, and I mean, I mean, like, it's it's funny, but also like we've discussed previously how the government's response to the pandemic has been deeply gendered, and to yes. and, yeah, and, absolutely, and yeah, the way that they've like. Reduced uh, or, and got got rid of. In fact, free childcare and then also reduced uh and gotten rid of supplements for childcare workers like all of this is yeah. designed you know designed to basically designed to put, put women in the home and look after children as they should do, do.
0: unpaid domestic labor and right uh, exactly not count towards unemployed statistics yeah. and now
1: his plan is to like yeah let's just get more women to do more unpaid domestic labor in order to produce little uh economic units for us like i totally yeah, yeah it's just shocking the
0: idea that we should treat unborn children as potential, as you said, economic units is so disgusting because, like, what is the world that they're being brought into? It's a world of a pandemic, of collapsing international relations and rising fascism and, like, the looming global disaster of global warming. And, like, like, the idea that we should pump out kids in the hope that maybe money go burr is just, like, so unethical and despicable if you realise that there are actually going to be more fucking humans in the world that we're going to have to, like, not give welfare and force them to get below-minimum-wage jobs and shit. But but uh,
1: the the idea that that would be a motivation for bringing a child mm, into the world, mm, like, mm. that you have an economic rationale for having a kid is, like, so fucking disturbing. And to, like even suggest not you know, he's not made it a policy or whatever, but even to suggest that at like the level of somebody's power like Freidenberg, it's just it's so fucking irresponsible and totally morally bankrupt. Yeah.
0: Well I see this sometimes in like leftist discourse about natalism and kids and stuff of like, well, yeah, sure, but like what if progressive people don't have kids and then it's only fucking white nationalists who are having kids? Like isn't that gonna be a problem? we should have kids because they're going to grow up to be good people who will be able to change the world or whatever. But it's the same like treating them as pawns. You know, it's for a better purpose as far as I'm concerned to like spread communism and prevent Nazis or whatever <laughs> than uh, to make Josh Frydenberg's portfolio look better. But like it's the same basic idea of like treating them as tools to an end rather than as an end unto themselves. So anyway... Uh, I don't mean to get into a whole lot of Emmanuel Kant. Uh, we're way over time and should probably finish up because we've got a couple of reviews to read before we go. But uh, yeah, we do. That, and look, that...
1: <clears throat> you know, just before we get off this, and we've already mentioned it, so it only needs a brief mention, but also would just like to say that the Labour Party's response to this shit from Frydenberg has also been extremely disappointing. They've just totally basically useless. been trying to hammer him on the fact that there's debt and deficit, which is just so wrong. Like, what do they want more austerity? Because that's what they're fucking arguing yeah, for. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, just yeah, frustratingly useless. Right. But you're right. It's reviews time. We asked for reviews. We begged for reviews. Noon got down and on his knees and he said, "Please, God, I'll do anything for a review." And we we got them. We got four. We got four reviews. reviews. We got four yeah. new reviews.
0: Yeah, uh, and we also got. Uh, yeah so we we also have a Patreon before we we read our reviews so if you like the show uh, if you want to hear more of our hot takes um, you can sign up uh, to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ospolsnackpod and for one US dollar a month you get a bonus monthly episode you can hang out on our Discord and ask us opinions Uh, at high levels you can uh, tell us what we do our bonus episodes about this month's one was about the palace letters so if you're interested in the Queen and the Governor General and my hot takes about the Constitution you should give that a listen I think it's actually really good and um, we get some good analysis in so yeah um hop on to patreon give us a buck buy us a coffee yeah all right should we do the reviews
1: yeah nice one we got the first one here from uh, bsc member he says five stars slowly becoming big brain listening to this tasty political commentary by the boys also appreciate that i'm not the only 20 something who thoroughly enjoys watching the babysitter's club word up, props oh, to yeah. the babysitter's club club um um, uh, yeah, just finished episode four, I think, or maybe five last night. Very solid stuff. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. Really, it's just it's it's what you need right now because mm. it's just wholesome it's TV so... where you get a little bit of mild drama, but then everybody kind of makes up in the end and solves their problems by being understanding and empathetic. Uh, yeah, it, it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> recommend it again.
0: All right, and this other one's from team member number eight, who said, stay for the snacks, five stars. The food puns are Michelin-worthy. The politics and memes seem kind of forced. <laughs> yeah, thank you, team member number eight. I love that. It's it's a nice balance to, to Yoram Lopsum. so thank you. Thank you for you're, – you're clearly a, a – a real engaged listener. That one killed me all when I read it the first time. So, yeah, thank you. That's great. Uh, um, we also got a couple on Facebook that are a bit too long to read, I reckon. But thank you, Josh Gatto and Jordan Some Guy. Uh, yes, yeah, really so nice. thank you very Maybe much. We...
1: Josh says that we are the best roundup of Australian politics available, which is very, very kind. And Jordan says that we throw in some funny stuff, which I appreciate. Jordan, thank you for uh, arguing against <laughs> Yoram Lipsum and. <laughs> <laughs> And their insistence that the show isn't funny. But um, that's, that's, that's probably, that's probably about right. to do us for this week, yeah? All yeah, right, cool. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. I hope you've gotten something out of the show this week. And I hope you're staying as safe as you can. And that things are okay for you. Fuck Cups Crunch Crunch.